May I have your attention, please? Good evening. You're listening to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another exciting episode of our show. Another episode of Straight Talk with Dana Mar and Six Man Dane Geronimo standing by for our six year anniversary show. Time has gone by real fast and um we're still glad to be here, you know what I mean? So thank you all for listening, tuning in, participating, commenting, everything else. We definitely appreciate you. Um it's like I said, I'm, I'm sitting here right now. I know Mark is about to come off of another show. So we're standing by, and he's right on time because from NJ to NC, I'm in the studio with my right-hand man, Mark Lee. So, Mark, tell me what's good in your neck of the woods, my brother. Well, you know, everybody's doing what everybody's doing here in North Carolina, which, of course, means that early voting is going on, for one. We started okay. that back on uh, last week and everything. I wish I could lie to you and tell you that I had actually gone early voting, but my good friend Zach did early voting. But I have not hit it yet, but I'm going to try to hit it either tomorrow or Wednesday. But, you know, definitely before Halloween when we have early yep. voting in. Because I'm not one that's going to be trying to wait until November, uh, the election day and all of that. So I definitely want to get in early voting. So that's what I've got going on and all of that. So definitely was good having a number of conversations. And, of course, we had Mr. Biden in town over the weekend. I understand it was a limited audience okay. you know, for certain African-American leaders and all of that. It was actually at Riverside High School. So we had that going on. And then, of course, you know, folks are still dealing with the pandemic, still dealing with the fact of not being able to perform in the ways that they are used to performing and all of that. So we've got mm-hmm. a lot of things going on in our community and definitely trying to find a way to uh, stay engaged, stay involved, and all of the things that we can do in our world when it comes to things along that line. And, of course, as always, had some amazing shows on our regular other streaming platforms. So I just got off doing a show with Brian once again, who's one of our LinkedIn influencers as well as Jess Everhart, who was a longtime friend and a uh, advocate activist and a number of other things as well. So definitely it was great having uh, them on the um, show and sharing their wisdom, their knowledge. She's actually written a book about dating, so she even shared a couple oh, wow. of uh, her ideas about dating tips and things of that nature. She being a single woman, I want to say in her 40s or something like that, but she shared a little bit of the wisdom of that. And of course, you know, we carry one of her podcasts, which is the Just Podcast, and she reminded me that she's actually got two podcasts. So I know that we've got plenty, but if we want to carry the other one, she did say we could carry 
upgrade that one too because that one is more about uh, geared toward women and them reinventing themselves. So I can send Dean the link and we can add like you know maybe we'll have a hundred after a while just like IBM.TV <laughs> ones, but or maybe we won't go that high. Or maybe we'll just see how things go. But she did offer right. that we could re-air that as well since she's already okay. part of the Next Level family. So you know, like I said we can talk about that offline and see what we want to do or how we want to work it. But you know, I ain't got no problem with us having 25, 30, 50, but I know that you're the one that's got to manage it. And so I'm not trying to put too much work on you. So maybe we'll just like alternate them. We'll do one week just podcast and one week the uh, other one. And maybe since she's uh, the same woman running two, but you know, I run three. So like I said, it depends <laughs> on how uh, Dean feels like working it out since Dean is the master of that kind of things. And I can feel for you because I'm actually in the process now of doing some programming, not so much for IBM.TV. We got other people to do that programming, even though I'm helping them create some programming. But, you know, I'm on the board and I'm on the programming committee for WCOM, our local community radio station in Carlboro, North Carolina. So I'm in charge, as my uh, interim director tells me, I'm in charge of deciding who goes where and what goes where. So I'm learning more and more as to your headaches because I'm having to do that for our community (laughs) radio station, which is also a streaming platform as well because we're a small radio station, meaning that we don't really go much outside of Carborough, maybe a little bit into Chapel Hill. But with the power of the Internet, we're heard all over the world because we are on, you know, TuneIn, Stitcher, and a number of other networks. So I know that some of my friends that are doing shows, including one of my buddies that's uh, the representative for Shoe Crazy, and he does a jazz show. I know he's heard, like, in Australia, England, and a number of other places because, you know, they're into that music in those areas. So that's some of what's going on in my world, keeping busy. Uh, you know, the Carolina Theater is still rolling. They're still, I think it was last week or maybe it was a week and a half ago, they opened to limited seating. So there was like, you know, a thousand seater. They can get uh, maybe a hundred people in there and uh, another room that's a room that shows movies that usually would sold like maybe a, a couple of hundred can now hold about 50. So definitely, you know, it's limited seating and that's what's going on here in the uh, world of Durham with folks trying to do stuff. I know the restaurants are still trying to stay open and do their thing, but you know, do it within the confines of what the rules and regulations that have been set are. And then in the world of sports, well, you know, the Lakers won and we talked about that last time and now we've got a World Series. So we've got the Los Angeles Dodgers. We'll be playing against the Tampa Bay uh, Rays, I believe is the name of that particular team was that football. I always forget the names of their sports, but the Tampa Bay baseball team, they will will be going up against them and everything. So that will be a good World Series, I think. I know I have a certain team that I would like to see win, and it is the Tampa Bay Rays, by the way. I would like to see Tampa Bay win because we did not have minor league baseball this year. Unfortunately, we had um, pro baseball, but the minor leagues was totally scrapped this year because of the pandemic. And that being said, we um, didn't have minor league, but the parent team of that minor league team that exists in Durham, the Durham Bulls, is now the Tampa Bay uh, Rays, which means that their parent company is in the World Series. To be perfectly honest, Dean, I was rooting for a um, 
what I was going to call the Durham Bulls World Series because I was rooting for Tampa Bay to go against the Atlanta Braves because the Atlanta Braves used to be the parent company of the Durham Bulls. So I was kind of rooting for something that I only got one half of. So, like I said, I did not get my full wish, but, you know, that's the way life is. You don't always get what you want in life. Sometimes you just get half of it. So I was rooting for what I was calling the Durham Bulls World Series, which is going to be the old parents against the new parents. But that didn't quite happen that way. So, like I said, that's what happens sometimes Everything you wish for, you don't necessarily get, unfortunately. So that's what's going on here in this neck of the woods. I'm sure that there's other things that are happening. I do know that they talked about voting and the fact that I think it's until a week or two after voting that they made a ruling that they can't get their absentee ballots in to like the 12th or something like that. So that just came down. And wow. apparently we're setting records for voting from this time last uh Four years ago. So four years ago, we have already exceeded the record of amount of people that had voted during the 2016 election uh, at this time of the year in 2016. So a number of folks are definitely paying attention to social media, paying attention to their concerns and things along that line. So we actually exceeded the record from 2016, and I imagine we're going to just shatter that record now because we've already, and I think they said double, double the amount of folks that had voted in 2016 have voted now. So if we're already double, you can imagine that by the time we get to Halloween and by the time we get to the actual election, we might have done triple or quadruple or who knows what number of the multiplication that I can't get to, but I'm sure we would have done something amazing or another, but that's where we are with that. What's happening in New Jersey? I know I was rambling on, but I was trying to catch up with all that I wanted to share with you, so what's happening in New Jersey? And I understand from your text that we've already got a guest on that will be bringing us the international flavor of the world, so definitely what's happening in your neck of the woods? You know, uh, so far it's kind of quiet. Hopefully it'll stay that way. We're two weeks out from the election, y'all, so you know, make sure that you put that vote in because a voice heard is a voice counted. So, you know, make your voice heard by way of the vote. Don't hold it back. Vote for who is in your better interest. And we're going to keep it moving, you know. So we're, we're going to uh, see what happens. And then by November 4th, we'll know who is a uh, uh, newly elected leader uh, hopefully, Orange Julius will be making his way out of 1600. But um, <laughs> we'll figure all of that stuff out. <laughs> yeah, we're going to figure that all out. I, I do have to mention something that even I learned stuff new about uh, the great uh, Dean Geronimo and all that he's got going on in his life. And I was looking at something on Facebook, and maybe it was on LinkedIn. But, you know, I've now known you for a few years. We've been working this thing for about six and I don't think that I ever remember you mentioning to me that you were the 2016 Black Enterprise person from the, out of there in New Jersey. But I saw that online. So yeah. for those other folks that might not know about that as well, share a little bit about that. Because like I said, when I saw that, I'm sitting there going like, Dean's supposed to be my man in terms of like one of my Ace uh, buddies and everything. And I didn't even know this. So I don't know how I missed it, but somehow I missed it. I was supposed to be one of your Aces. So yeah, I know this was something that happened some four years ago, but it's still a major achievement. So share with us how this happened yeah. and your reflections on doing that and having that honor some four years ago you know what you have to be um very cautious of what you do because somebody's always watching you know i got a phone call one day 
And the gentleman on the other end of the line said, yes, I'm calling from Black Enterprise Magazine. I was like, okay. Because my thought was, okay, maybe they're trying to sell a subscription or something like that. He said, well, you've been nominated to be one of our 100 modern men. So I kind of laughed. And I was like, you know what? Call me back at 30 minutes. And he was like, are you busy right now? I said, yeah, kind of. I wasn't doing anything. But at the same time, I said, if it's real, he'll call back. If it's fake, I won't hear from him again. And <laughs> I had just been on there, one of my uh, hometown friends. Shout In fact, Chef Henry Dudley, who does the Chef Gang podcast, he was nominated one of the 100 men in the month prior. So when they called me back, he said, well, I'm going to send you an email. There's a list of questions on there. I want you to answer those questions and send me a headshot. I was like, okay, no problem. I filled it out. I sent it in. And then a few weeks later, I got an email. Congratulations. You are one of our 100 modern men. And that um, I actually posted because I still have that link to the page. And, and to be honored for, I guess, what I do, you know, it, it, it it's humbling because you think Black Enterprise Magazine is one of the larger magazines and you know, I'm in there with Laz Alonzo and all these famous folks, and here I am. And it's like, in my mind, it's, I'm just me, you know. But to be in that uh, fraternal organization of modern men, to have been selected by Black Enterprise Magazine, when you just do what you normally do and, and you don't expect anything from it, to know that somebody is watching and that somebody appreciates what you do, you know that that's a that's a big thing. So, I mean, I had posted it on on um, you know social media and stuff like that, and then I kind of like went back to doing what I was doing. So, you know, like I didn't really, you know, some people be like, yeah, I'm a black enterprise modern man. I was like, yeah, I'm still humbled by it four years later. So, <laughs> I've had it in a nutshell, man. Well, that's cool. And I was glad to see that you had that honor. I have not been nominated for Black Enterprise. Maybe either you or somebody else could send that nomination that I can hopefully get in there or maybe some of my peer group can. But I'm always glad to see my friends that are doing amazing things, and you are definitely doing amazing things, whether it's through this uh, platform, whether it's through some of your businesses that you're doing on your own as well as those that you're doing with your wife and everything. So definitely I consider you to be one of the leading entrepreneurs of New Jersey, just like I consider my friends just to be a leading entrepreneur from here in North Carolina. So definitely I would put you in those same kind of categories, and I know that you do some great work, whether it's your work with the uh, NAACP, whether it's the work to, on, in your frat, or whether it's just your work on the uh, correction systems or a number of other places that you are involved in. So definitely I know that you are a uh, man of substance that is doing some great things. So I am glad to call you a friend. Just wanted to let you know that right here Thank live and on TV and all of that. So I know we've got our guests calling in to talk about that Chinese Lantern show that they do. And I actually had the pleasure of going to that earlier this year, right before the pandemic struck and everything. I think it was like maybe a month or two before. And I went with a friend mm -hmm. of mine to the one here in the Cary because it does travel around the country. And I was just amazed. So I'm interested in learning more about what they do and how that came about and, you know, how that whole thing is done. Because like I said, I was truly amazed when I got a chance to check 
check it out, and it was just uh, one of the uh, joys of my life to check out. And I don't know whether you've ever been to one of those in New Jersey, but they tr- do travel around the world and around the country. And like I said, some of that um, artwork that they do and some of those juggling things that they do just will truly blow your mind, and you'll be sitting there going like, I don't know how they made this thing or what it's made of, but it's just like very <laughs> eye-capturing and all of that. So I'm curious to see, one, if it's going to happen this year because, you know, it is an outside event or whether they're going to go strictly virtual or whether we're going to have a full version and all of that and then learn more about how Aya got involved. So let's bring in our guests and let's have a conversation. Oh, yeah. And and her name is Ailu. She's the marketing manager for Tianyu Arts and Culture. Ms. Lou, welcome to Straight Talk with Dina Mark. You are now on the line. Hi. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to invite you. Like I was just telling Dean, I was thoroughly, uh, really impressed with what I saw when I went to the uh, Chinese Lantern Show when it was here in uh, the Cary area. I'm actually in Durham, but it was actually closer to Cary, North Carolina, and I know that they do that every year. It's been an event that I've wanted to go to for a number of years, but hadn't really had a chance to check it out the way that I would like to. But then this year, me and a friend who actually at the time was working at an office near that area where it's held at because it's held in a area of the research triangle park and everything where there are a number of businesses. So her business was actually near where y'all are having the Chinese lantern festival. So I was telling Dean, I was just truly blown away by the artwork, blown away by the uh, performers and all of that. So I would love to hear from you, how you got involved with them and also just your own reflections on being with marketing and their, uh, how they hold people come about doing the show. Cause I noticed that a number of the folks were actually, I think from actually from China itself. So if you would just share a little bit about how it's going and how y'all are even doing, cause I know a number of folks are very much concerned about events in general and whether that's something like what y'all do with the Chinese lantern festival or whether that's some of our music festivals or just performances in general that we know throughout the globe, a lot of things have gone because of what's happening strictly virtual. So I don't know whether y'all are even be coming back to carry this year or some of the other locations, or if y'all are planning to go in that more virtual space that so many others are going in. So I'd love to hear your reflections on your own involvement and also what's going to happen in terms of, uh, whether we're going to see it live or Memorex, as I like to say. Yeah, yeah. So first, uh, I'm really glad that you got the chance to check it out. And uh, and I'm really happy to know that you uh, also enjoy it. So uh, for the Carrie Festival, um, it's actually uh, our oldest show in the United States. So that's, you know, quite significant for us. Uh, it's, you know, for last year, it was the fifth year, and we actually have a record attendance. So uh, it's doing, you know, it's getting, like, better and better uh, in the uh, Cary area. And so um, so for our company, uh, I mean, um, I first got involved, like, uh, several years ago that our, our parent company in China uh, wanted to open a branch in the United States, a subsidiary. So they sent me here, and so I helped uh, set up the company in the U.S., and then uh, you know, we started like doing shows in one city, and then it, it grows really fast because uh, you know, it gets like, really popular, and then once people see it, and they, they just love the show. And so um, 
So for the year, um, very unfortunately, that we would not be able to open in Kerry this year because of the um, the, lo- the the attendance limit set by the state and the city. Right. So, uh, but we definitely hope that you know situation will get, will get better uh, next year. We we definitely hope. And then uh, this festival in Kerry, we um, our goal is to make it as a local like holiday tradition so that people, right. you know, once it's Christmas time, it's holiday time. And then the first thing, you know, some of people's mind is like, oh, we are going to see the show, you know, because it becomes a local tradition for the holiday. So, uh, yeah, so that's definitely um, our goal to make it, you know, uh, last, you know, as long as possible in Kerry. And, and so uh, for this year, uh, you know, as an event and festival company, uh, we are, um, you know, impacted by the um, uh, pandemic. So mm-hmm. uh, we cancel uh, quite a few shows across the country. Um, but we were still able and uh, we are still able to, like, open several shows that's, like, with a uh, uh, bigger attendance limit. So, for example, we just um, closed our show at the Cleveland Zoo in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. So mm-hmm. uh, there, because they could allow, um, you know, up to 3,200 uh, per night. So we were able to open uh, for over the summer, and then we still got an attendance around um, 150,000 visitors. So that was, you know, like really a uh, good number for <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, and then we are also having a show in Boston uh, at the zoo. So it was, uh, it's also very successful there, uh, even, you know, have this attendance limit. And we have uh, two more shows coming up, um, one in Seattle at the zoo. And then the other one is uh, also at the Oakland Zoo in the Bay Area. So that's like during the holiday season from November to January. And um, as you can see, you know, even though we were able to open a few shows this year, but like compared to the past, you know, in last year, um, we have like usually like our normal numbers is like we will have uh, about like 10 shows or more across the country during the year. So, uh, but we are already feeling really lucky that we are still, uh, you know, able to open in some locations. And so for yeah, us, uh, yes, so the shows, as you can see that, you know, the lanterns are uh, nothing like, you know, the regular, uh, the lighting uh, you see, you know, in the traditional uh, holiday lights, because like for this lanterns, they are made of a steel frame and then with uh, steel light fabrics, you know, like the uh, covering outside. And then also our artists, uh, they hand paint the lanterns. And also uh, they, we use all LED lights, you know, lighting inside. So it's like very uh, energy efficient. And mm-hmm. so they are all handmade. Uh, so that's um, what, you know, makes them like so significant. And, um, talking about this lanterns, it's actually, um, I mean, in China, it already has a history of, you know, like probably like up to like more than 2,000 years in China. So in the past, you know, like there were like thousands of years ago that 
uh, only the emperor and the nobleman and wealthy people in China, you know, could enjoy this kind of uh, lanterns, the lantern festivals during Chinese New Year. But like as um, you know, when it gets to modern times, and then people more and more people, you know, like everybody can enjoy it, and then it becomes the tradition in China right now that uh, people will have this kind of lantern festival during Chinese New Year, and then. Um, you know, all the families they will go out. It's just a kind of like um, Americans they go to see holiday lights during Christmas. Um, but right. for our company, after bringing the show abroad, you know, we also have another subsidiary in Europe which is also doing uh, really well. We had um, you know shows in Paris, in um, Netherlands, Belgium, Germany. So it's really like global. Um, yep. So. For our shows abroad, um, we focus not just, even though, you know, like um, some shows, uh, as you could see in the uh, carry one that is like Chinese theme, and then we have like many Chinese culture elements. But for us, um, it's only part of our theme. Like for example, right now, um, you know, you know, consider, considering the uh, environment and our work, we are, you know, also promoting this wildlife conservation theme, you know, with like we make a lot of wildlife lanterns um, to mm-hmm. show, you know, in different festivals, like for example, at our zoo locations to help, you know, promote this uh, wildlife conservation awareness, you know, to our visitors. So, so you know, for us, it's like not just um, a show business or a purely uh you know, a lantern, a lighting festival, but we also want to, uh, you know, provide this cultural or educational um, level. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned the uh, fact that a lot of these uh, designs are actually hand-painted, and that actually surprised me. So how long does the hand-painting take, and how many artists are used for the hand-painting? And also, could you talk a little bit about the nature of the artists? Because like I said, I know that the show I went at, there was folks that were doing like some, and Dean would just be impressed if he saw it, but they were like doing this, like, juggling of chairs and different other kind of like heavy objects and pottery and things of that nature. So how are the artists found? And also, could you talk a little bit about the artwork and how that artwork is created? Because I imagine that that's got to take days on uh, end and take a lot of painstaking hours in order to get those costumes and those outfits. Uh, I mean, like the puppets is what I consider them almost to be like painted and everything. But how, how does that go about and how long does that process take? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we usually have two groups of, um, you know, like people coming from China. So one is um, the artisans. The artisans are the people, you know, who set up all the lanterns on site. So uh, for the lanterns, most of them are made uh, in our warehouse, at our parent company's warehouse in China. And after they, uh, you know, manufacture all those pieces and then they ship them over to, you know, to United States. And deliver on location, but I mean, as you you have probably seen that there is like usually you know like a uh, 196 foot dragon or a phoenix on right. the lake. So for that kind of like really big pieces, uh, they actually have to set it up on site because you can you definitely cannot fit them into a one ocean container. So uh, right. what they do is like they ship the pieces over, and then they use uh, those heavy equipment and you know uh, the crane to 
set them up on site. And so, uh, and some of the other pieces, also the big ones that cannot um, ship uh, or, you know, with, uh, you know, inside the ocean container. So they just, uh, you know, manufacture them on site. Uh, we usually, for the group, um, it's like anywhere from 30, uh, no, like uh, 30 artisans to 40 artisans. Uh, the working time is usually one month to set the whole show up. And then uh, we have another group is the performers. So the performers, right. they are also from China. Um, our company, our parent company in China, they scout all the really top performers across China and then, uh, you know, to have them come over to the United States to perform. Because, you know, usually this is like, it's really weird to see this kind of performance in uh, the United States. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the things I noticed was that the performers were definitely highly trained and everything of that nature. Now, when it comes down to the lanterns and everything, and one of the things I was always curious about, even before going to the show the first time earlier this year, but definitely having uh, seen it on the news and definitely uh, wanted to go to it for a number of years, was what did they do about weatherization? Because like I said, I mean, we don't get a lot of snow in North Carolina, but it can sometimes get snow and there can also be storms and things of that nature. So what kind of things do y'all do? do in order to protect the items from the elements? Because like I said, you know, y'all are outside. It's an outside festival. So that's something I've always been curious about because it looked like if, I know that there had been definitely a couple of rainstorms a couple of days before I went, and I couldn't even tell. So it didn't even look like they had been impacted at all. So I was just wondering as to what y'all do in order to protect them from the elements. Yes. Um, so so uh, for the lanterns themselves, they are uh, waterproof. So for most, uh, like just like normal weather conditions, like for example, it's like it's just normal rain or snow, they are totally okay. Uh, but we definitely have experienced, um, you know, uh, you know, storms or even tornadoes. So that's why uh, after the setup, we will still have uh, several artisans on site for the maintenance. So, for example, uh, in Cherry, that, you know, when there was uh, the storms and then uh, the, the venue got flooded, our artisans who were uh, still staying on site would just, like, work quickly to fix, you know, the lanterns that got uh, broken or, you know, maybe some lights are out. So they would, like, work on that, like, very quick and then fix everything so that we can reopen again. Yeah, that makes sense. And how many performers are there? Because like I said, you did mention the performing element, and I did notice that there were different performers, and they seemed to come at different times. So I was wondering if you could talk about the performers and also the nature of the performances and when they came on and all of that, because I'd love to hear more about the performance aspect as well. Yeah, so uh, usually, I mean, it depends on the show, but uh, usually it's like, for example, uh, maybe five performers per section and then um, we will have a group of performers uh, normally it's from like maybe six to ten uh, performers that will uh, fly we will fly them from China and then um, you know for them they are trained you know uh, from you know for many years and so they have been like touring you know around the world and then also across the country with our shows so, uh, and we also, you know, uh, adjust the performance 
every year, you know, because if the like, audience has seen them last year, then we will bring in a uh, new perform- performance. Uh, or if like there are some really popular ones that we will uh, bring them back. So uh, and then most of them are acrobatic because um, that's uh, you know it seems that's you know what's most popular uh, you know for um, American audience. Gotcha. That makes sense. You always want to go back to the one that's the most popular and things of that nature. As the person that's handled the marketing and everything, what is the thing that has most surprised you about the American audiences that you um you were not expecting? Like I said, I know that I've done marketing. I know Dean has done marketing as well. And you're always, as somebody in marketing, surprised at something or another. So as one has done the marketing for the uh, Chinese Lantern Festival and everything, what is some of the things that have surprised you the most that uh, you were not expecting as a marketer? Um, so actually for us, uh, we were, we partner with the venues. So uh, most of the marketing, uh, you know, are done by our local venue partners. And for some other shows, if we, you know, do it on our own, we will hire uh, local, you know, local marketing companies and PR companies to market a show for us. Uh, so I would say that, you know, the, um, is, I mean, like for us, since we are like basically the event is like for everybody, like for all age yeah. groups, there are, uh, like families, seniors, or, you know, um, couples for day nights. So for us, the audience are just like really broad. So we basically, uh, for our show, we need to pretty much like cover all the, you know, marketing channels. Yeah, that makes sense. And y'all do a lot with social marketing as well, doing a lot through, because I couldn't remember what I saw a lot on using like Facebook and Twitter and uh, the other sites. So do you use a lot of our local social media to do the marketing or do you pretty much depend just on the newspapers and the magazines and also the target markets? Like I imagine, I know that there are some Asian magazines here, so I imagine that you probably target to them specifically in addition to targeting to other communities as well. Yeah, so, uh, yes, we definitely use uh, social media, um, but for us, um, you know, there was still a very heavy part, uh, you know, of the budget that we were focused on traditional marketing um, because it seems, I mean, it really depends on the market because in the United States, um, you know, the markets, they, you know, it's like just so huge, you know, the country. So uh, for different cities, like, for example, for those six cities, like, um, you know, L.A. or Chicago or, you know, like some other things that the marketing uh, would be really different from some other smaller cities. So because, uh, you know, like, for example, in some cities that especially maybe for seniors that people will still rely on traditional marketing like the newspaper, um, you know, or TV. So, uh, so those are still very important for us. And then um, so for the targeted, sometimes, you know, depends on, like, for example, we will have a different, you know, um, focus of each weekend, and then we will target uh, different groups, like, for example, like, especially for families or uh, for, like, day, day life for couples. So, yeah. 
Yeah, because one of the things I noticed and that I loved about it, and I know that when I went with a uh, friend of mine to go to the event and everything, one of the things that both me and Sherry noticed was that a lot of it was not just one specific group or class. So like I said, even though it is a Chinese Lantern Festival, I can tell you that the audience that I saw was very diverse. There was everything from, you know, definitely African-Americans, European-Americans, definitely there were some Asian-Americans there, and it was also very much of a wide range of ages as well. So I'm imagining that y'all are seeing that in all the places that y'all are traveling and taking the show to, that it is definitely going across different ethnicities and different uh, genders, orientations, and even age ranges. So that's one of the things I noticed was that definitely folks were very much engaged, but engaged across different um, ethnicities and different styles. So is that something that you've noticed in other cities as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. Uh, So because you know, usually, like even for some of of our, our the you know the marketing companies that we hire, when they you know hear that it's the Chinese Lantern Festival, they will immediately think about like the Asian community or the Chinese community. But like it's actually uh, based on our experience, uh, not just in the U.S. but also in Europe, that this kind of festival you know just um, attracts like all kinds of people. It's not just like one community. So. And, and what's more interesting is that you definitely see uh, much more mainstream and other ethnicities than Asian. Because I think maybe part of the reason is that because this is something that, you know, they have never seen before. But for some maybe Chinese community or Asian uh, communities that maybe they have seen it, um, you know, in China or in Asia. So, um, but, but we, but of course, we still get a lot of uh, Chinese and uh, Asian visitors because they, you know, they are also really, you know, surprised and appreciate this Lantern Festival because they feel like, oh, they are seeing something so authentic from home. So, um, so you know, that's really good as well. And and so for um, the, I I would say, you know, uh, for the ethnicities and communities, it it stays pretty much the same in different markets. Um, either you know, in the U.S. or in Europe. Yeah, that makes sense. And one of the other things, and I don't know if this is the case with all of the shows that y'all do, but I know in Carrie, one of the other things that I really enjoyed was the fact that there were also some uh, games that were incorporated within the festival and the, like some contests of strengths and things of that nature or of accuracy. And then, of course, there was always the Chinese food that was involved as well. So I was wondering, is that something that is just strictly because of the carry organizers or is that something that goes to all of the festivals where there are kind of like these games that might be more games of skill or games of ability that were incorporated within the festival as well as the Chinese Chinese food. So is that something that's incorporated as part of y'all's marketing with all of the festivals, or is that just strictly a carry thing? Uh, yes, that, that's uh, for all festivals, because we want to make it, you know, uh, for a full festival experience. It's not just, um, you know, seeing the lights, uh, you know, the lanterns and, you know, seeing the exhibits. So we want people really to interact with the lanterns. So there are quite a quite a few pieces of lanterns that you can actually, you know, interact, um, you know, like having really fun, like playing games. So, and and for the Chinese food elements, um, that's what, you know, uh, a universal interest from the visitors that we got is like, 
pretty much like we got the comments and reviews that everybody go when they go to Chinese Lantern Festival, they expect it to have really good Chinese food. Yep, definitely. I know I'm a big fan of Chinese food. I think Dean is as well, but I know I'm a big fan of it and all. But when you talk to the American audiences and things of that nature, what's one of the biggest myths that you have to conquer about China itself or about Chinese performers and things of that nature? So I just wondering what some of the myths that you hear from our American citizens and everything. So when they find out about the festival, there are things that you have to address in order to get them to understand the culture. So I was just wondering what some of those myths are that you have to deal with as somebody that deals in this field? Um, I mean, so far, uh, like the feedback we got are uh, pretty much like really positive and um, not like not a lot of like missteps I am aware of. But like, but, but definitely, um, I would say that for American I mean, in general, uh, in the U.S., like we need to be more cautious about like bringing some, uh, like for example, with the performers, that you know, if there are some really you know like difficult or looks you know like look like dangerous uh, performance that we may have to cancel because we don't want the you know the the audience like feel that oh like the performance you know is dangerous. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that you want to make sure that the audience is comfortable as well as everybody else is comfortable with the show and everything. Because the other thing that I noticed when I went to the show is, um, like you said, everybody in the show and all the performers are native Chinese and everything of that nature. So I noticed that um, there was like some folks that were selling different items, including some of the performers that might be there signing autographs or selling some of their own uh, calendars and artwork and things of that nature. But it did seem to me that most of those only spoke in one of the native languages of their country. So I don't know that that many of the performers actually spoke English, or is that something that a lot of them do? Because like I said, I know when I met one or two of them, um, I don't speak either Cantonese or Mandarin, and we had like a little bit of a language barrier, but I did let them know that I admired their artwork, and I think that the message was communicated, but I did wonder that, because I did think that a lot of the uh, artists that are coming, and the performers particularly, are not necessarily from America, but that actually surprised me, because I know a lot of times around the world, a lot of folks do a better job of learning foreign language than we do because like I said we're lucky we could speak English and sometimes we don't even speak that that well but I've noticed that a lot of other countries speak multiple languages like I said you speak very good English and I noticed that you probably speak one of the other Chinese tongues as well but I was wondering about the performers are they also trained in terms of like speaking English in addition to their native language or some of the other countries that you go to like France being French or Spanish being the Spanish countries and everything or are they pretty much just comfortable in their own native language, be that Mandarin, be that Cantonese. Those are the two that I know, but I know y'all have many more languages than that. Um, yeah, they, they definitely uh, don't speak any English. So uh, but, uh, what we do is like, for every show, we will have an on-site translator to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to go with them. So uh, the on-site translator will do all the you know, translation, and uh, help with like all the communication with the you know performers or the artisans. But most of them, you know, it's like the conversations will be with our venue partners. 
so that you know they can communicate well, uh, you know, about work matters. So for with audience, um, I mean, most of the time the performers, um, you know, um, they just perform on the stage. So there's um, little chance that you know, like they they communicate directly with the uh, visitors, but. Uh, most of the time, you know, if the visitors like want a picture with them, uh, that that's totally fine. And then uh, about um, you know the paintings and handicrafts um, you just mentioned. So those um, are the handicrafts ones. So sometimes they will also uh, you know come to our shows, like for example the one in Kerry. So uh, they will you know um, have their you know very unique you know handmade handicraftsmen like handicrafts. To, you know, sell to um, the visitors. So I mean, they sometimes can, you know, speak a little bit English, you know, just like for very simple uh, communication. So you know, yes. I mean, somehow that you know it worked it worked out very well <laughs> between them and the you know and the uh, visitors. No, that makes a lot of sense. The other thing I was curious about, and I don't know whether y'all do a lot of this kind of work, but I know that here in uh, North Carolina there is a fairly growing uh, Asian population. I mean, it's not as big as the African-American population or the Latin population. And, of course, we've got a number of universities around here that have a decent amount of Asian students. Like, I live around the corner from Duke University and not that far from UNC and North Carolina State. So I was wondering, as y'all are usually here and in some of the other states for a number of months, do y'all ever do any kind of, like, um, programs with those communities, like within your own community, like having meetings with, like, the um, Chinese students or the Asian um students that might be here at our various colleges or even some of our Asian associations and Asian organizations. So I was wondering if there was a lot of that kind of community building between these Chinese performers and your company and these entities that exist in the different cities that you go into and how that goes about and whether y'all do a lot of that kind of um, um, bridge building, for lack of a better term. Yeah, so uh, so for the local uh, Asian communities, so we have, uh, in, uh, you know, also invited some groups, you know, to perform on the stage during the festival. So uh, mm -hmm. we definitely have some, you know, like some are student groups and some are, um, you know, the Asian uh, performers, like local Asian performers to perform uh, on the stage. And then uh, we have also... You know, uh, you know, gone to some of those, you know, like uh, smaller communities that if they want to have our performers over to maybe perform, um, you know, a few shows that we will do that as well. And then um, we definitely, you know, also partner with the local like uh, Asian supermarkets and newspapers, you know, to promote the show as well. Yeah, definitely. I know that a lot of times those Asian supermarkets have become very popular during this era and everything, probably because they have some of the more affordable food out there, because I know that a number of folks will go to one of our local Asian markets here in Durham and a number of other kind of like those markets, whether it's Asian, whether it's Latin American. But I have noticed that a lot of those kind of markets have become very popular around the world. So that's one of the things I'm seeing is that more and more people are definitely getting in more interest than I would say even before within Asian 
Asian cuisine and definitely Asian food in general. Because I know that there's an Asian grocery store here in the Durham area. There may be more than one, but I know that there's definitely one that's like between Durham and Chapel Hill that I'm aware of. And like I said, there are probably others, but that's the one that I'm thinking of. But I know a lot of folks do have been paying more attention to the fact that a lot of this food is um, a lot healthier in some cases and definitely more affordable. So I know that that's probably been helping with even y'all's market and the fact that folks now are even more aware of the Asian things and all of that. But coming back to the conversation and everything, one of the things I was curious about is um, you said y'all won't be in Cary this year, but that means the, is that ruling out a virtual performance or does that mean that it won't happen at all? Or are y'all even looking at possibly doing a virtual performance where you bring up like clips or have other things from other shows in the past and that way people get a taste of the festival even if they can't have it in Cary in 2021 and have to wait to 2022. So have y'all explored that possibility? of doing anything in that virtual space? Um, yeah, we, we've talked about that before, but uh, with the virtual, you know, show that, uh, you know, since we know that visitors, they want to get those, you know, in-person experience. So, um, you know, with the virtual shows, that it, it doesn't really um, work for our type of festival. So I guess by uh, for this year, we just, uh, you know, show is just canceled, and then we are hoping to bring it back next year. Yeah, that makes sense. So, like I said, y'all usually start that right around, I think it's Thanksgiving, and goes till like, the early part of the uh, new year. So I know a lot of folks will definitely regret that it's not here this time around. And like I said, I know even folks that drive around the neighborhood, they will sometimes see the lanterns, even if they don't go to the show, and that oftentimes will draw people into coming to see the show because the lanterns are so bright and so wonderful. And I know a lot of our local TV stations do a good job of covering the virtual, uh, I mean, the uh, festival on a regular basis. So definitely y'all get great coverage here in our local media. And then, of course, it's always, if you're just driving down, um, I think it's I-47, of course, you can't miss but see those lights and those lamps because they are very much able to be seen from the street side and things of that nature. So that's actually raises another question. Do y'all try to do that intentionally? Do y'all try to find the locations where folks will see it um, from like the highway and things of that nature? You mentioned that a couple of these have been at the zoo and I know a lot of times zoos are in city central, but I'm wondering whether y'all try to make it so that it's always held in some place that's very visible. Um, yeah. So for our venues, uh, we so first we will look for venue settings that are actually um, you know to be a good fit for this kind of festivals, which is you know the, as you could you know as you could see you know in the uh, Carrie show that you know it's a really beautiful setting you know there's the lake, um, so that you know we can have the lanterns on the lake and then with the reflections that's like absolutely beautiful. And then there, you know, uh, there are trees and then grassy areas. So with this kind of uh, settings, it will make the, you know, entire, um, you know, show effect, you know, look really good. Uh, so for us, so our first consideration is the setting itself. So is it a good fit? Um, you know, ideally grassy area, trees, and then a variety of, uh, you know, settings, and then, uh, you know, if there's a water, like a lake, that would be perfect. And then, um, 
with the, I mean, we haven't done much like that with the highway um, you know, nearby or so. Um, and I think another key thing is like parking space. You know, definitely we need a lot, you know, enough parking space. Um, and then, I mean, take the carry show, for example. I'm not sure whether you have seen that, you know, when you, um, you know, drive to the show, you could actually see some of the lanterns uh, from the, right. the row. So, yeah, right, exactly. that's like really, uh, you know, absolutely like gorgeous. You know, when people, if like people have never heard of it and then when they drive by they will think oh wow that looks like so amazing what's going on there and then that is like actually a really good uh, marketing opportunity as well so yeah so i would say you know a setting like the you know coca booth uh in Kerry, that's a really good setting and a good fit for our show Oh, yeah, and Carrie, I know definitely y'all get a lot of respect and a lot of folks that are definitely enjoying the show and all of that. One of the things I was curious about was you did mention that some of the shows have been at zoos and things of that nature, and I do know that a number of the objects are of both mythological as well as real-life animals like tigers and lions, and some of these have different stories and everything attached to them and all of that because that's one of the things that really shocked me with some of these definitely uh like chinese uh legends and things of that nature that a lot of the stories are told within those lanterns so i was wondering if you could share just a little bit with our listeners and everything as to how y'all go about learning about these legends and how those legends are incorporated into the lanterns because that's one of the things that i enjoyed reading was about the different legends and then on a lighter note i was curious as when y'all were in the zoos if ever any of the animals got confused by the lanterns because like i said some of the lanterns are of the actual animals that are in the zoo so i was just wondering if you had ever been any moment where a zookeeper might have told you that like the lion was thrown off by the lion lantern but that might have just been me and some of my abstract thinking but i was really curious as to about the legends uh yes so so uh in the so for the zoos um we haven't heard of anything that's like the, the animals were mistaking the lanterns as you know an animal but um but we did have like some like really funny moments that is like some you know maybe our staff uh, when they were doing like the unloading from the containers, we, you know, since you know our artisans are really good at you know making a really authentic look like um, you know lanterns, so uh, there were like some funny moments that they mistake, you know, a snake lantern as a real snake, and then got like really scared, and then realized that that was just a snake lantern. Um, so with the misco. Um, you know, creature in the Chinese, um, you know, history that, you know, is, that is like part of our Chinese theme. So for, for, since our show, as you could see in the carry one that, you know, um, there were a lot of lanterns. I mean, in some of our other shows, like for example, in Cleveland and then uh, in our LA show, the venues is so much bigger. So uh, it's like, uh, even like, um, much bigger like scale of the lantern festival that we have um, more lanterns and so with so many lanterns usually the show um, you know could be divided into like different parks uh, like different themes like for example um, a section is the Chinese um, theme and then the other section is the maybe holiday theme or 
the wildlife animal themes. So uh, with the Chinese, the mythical creatures is, you know, the Chinese cultural theme. And then we, you know, it's like, it's also, you know, our way that, you know, in the, in the introduction that uh, we want to, you know, like provide this educational uh, elements into a different culture and then let people know, oh, okay, this kind of myth uh, creature is, you know, what, what it means and then what, you know, you know, how it originated in the Chinese history. Yeah. Yeah, because that's one of the things I noticed when I went to the show was that a number of them had stories that I wasn't even aware of, and I can't remember one of them off the top of my head, unfortunately. But I do remember going by and reading them and just being fascinated by some of those stories and how they were played into Chinese history, whether it was going back as far as I think one of them might have even dated back to like Confucius and some of the other early uh, dynasties and things of that nature. So one of the things that I was going to commend y'all for is that y'all did a really good job of uh, highlighting the history of this country that is made up of the world's biggest population and a lot of us here in america don't know enough of the history of china unfortunately so that was a great moment for me to actually learn a lot about the chinese culture and the chinese history of like i said i've yet to visit uh, mainland china or any of the um china populations or anything but i know that both of my parents have been to mainland china and so i know that it's a very beautiful country and it's much more than just the great wall which of course is what most people associate with is the great wall in the big cities like peking and things of that nature but there's a lot more to china than meets the eye so when i was reading those kind of descriptions it was really um something that i appreciated learning a little bit more about that and that's why i was looking forward to this year uh, or now to be 2022 being able to actually digest more of that information because i do find that uh even though as a friend of mine on a streaming podcast network talked about it's the biggest population in the world but unfortunately too many of us here in the west don't know enough about china or its history so i was just glad to learn a lot more of that history through the Chinese Lantern Festival. And I think that that's one of the great things that y'all do regularly is teach folks about mainland China and its history. So do you get a lot of those kind of comments from other folks as well? Did they learn a lot about China through coming to the Chinese Festival or the Chinese Lantern Festival and reading about the different uh, things that are going on, whether that be legend or whether that be fact, because I think some of them were even factual things. And then, of course, there were a number of legends that were talked about. Like, I think there was one that involved, like, um, some fables that were involved in everything, because I know that there are also Chinese fables. It seems to me that I involved one that involved a bird, but I can't remember what the bird was. But I do remember there was one that revolved around a bird. So there you find a lot of folks that are learning about Chinese culture through coming to the uh, Lantern Festival. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, you know, that's uh, what, um, you know, that's why we specially created that, you know, as you can see the introduction of uh, like introduction panels for each lantern so that people, you know, they're not just seeing this beautiful uh, lantern sculptures, but they are also, you know, they can also read about, you know, their background, you know, what's the background stories between, you know, behind this um, lantern. And so, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, the visitors really enjoy it. And then, um, you know, one of their favorites, they really like the Zodiac, you know, because like you can see, you know, um, which, you know, which is your Zodiac based on your, the year that you were born. So, um, you know, yeah, so that's like, 
it's definitely something you know about Chinese culture that that's like very like universally popular. Yep, gotcha. Uh, out of all of those panels, and you've done the marketing now for a number of years and everything, but out of all of those panels and all of that history, what's the panel that strikes out at you the most? So what's the panel that you were actually surprised by or something that you have learned yourself from those historical elements from your home country? So I'm sure that there was something that you were even reading yourself, and it surprised you as one that has been involved in the marketing for a while. So I'd be curious to know what panel struck you and what and what its story was. Yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, actually, um, I would say probably like the mythical creature, the creature that you just mentioned, because right. like, to be honest, uh, those mythical uh, creatures, they are like, you know, from like really thousands of years ago. It's like even some, uh, you know, many Chinese right now, they don't know about it. So, yeah, yeah. so for us, you know, uh, especially, you know, for these younger generations that, you know, um, a lot of people, they, they don't know about it because um, it's like really, you know, in the history books, you know, this, like many years ago, the, the stories. So, so, uh, so even for, you know, Chinese, that's also, you know, we are learning something new. Yeah, definitely. And you actually just mentioned something that I was curious about, which is the whole notion of the youth knowing about their culture. Because I know that's something that even happens here in the United States is too often we don't have enough knowledge of our own history, be that the African-American history, be that the Latin American history, or a number of other things. I would even argue that we don't know enough about our patriotic history, meaning like the American Revolution and things of that nature. So even when you take the show back home to China, do you find that enough of the youth are aware of their own stories and their own history, or is that something that y'all even have to deal with back home in the mainland and everything back in China? Because I feel that around the world, enough of our youth don't know enough about what's going on in their own culture. So I was wondering your reflections on that. Yeah, so um, I I would say that uh, definitely, you know, even back in China, you know, when you have uh, this kind of lanterns, even the younger generation, they are learning something new. Um, because I remember that when I was little that, you know, usually it's like a family uh, activity that, you know, parents will bring their kids, you know, to this kind of um, lantern festival for the holiday. And then, um, you know, you know, the kids can, uh, you know, also learn something from this lanterns. Yep, definitely. Well, I've been good talking to you and everything, but I definitely want you to stay on the line. I think that I heard the bell ring, which means that Dean's probably going to tell me we've got other guests joining the conversation as well. So, mm-hmm. Dean, did I hear a bell ring and everything, or did I hear two bells ring? I lost track. I was hearing bells, but I was also oh, learning about the Chinese lanterns and everything. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you heard the bell. Um, Miss Sydney Golden, welcome to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. You're now on the line. Hi, How are you guys. doing, Sydney? I'm glad to have you involved. Hello. We've been talking to a young lady with the uh, Chinese uh, Lantern Festival that comes out and travels around the world. I don't know whether it's been to – well, actually, I think that you're out of the Boston area, if I remember correctly, because uh, I know Ellis X is based out of that area. So you might have even been to the Chinese Lantern Festival because it did seem like Boston was one of the places that it was able to go to, unlike my area of Cary, North Carolina. Actually, I'm in Durham, but Cary is not that far, but they 
I'm not going to have it this year. They did have it the last year. Well, from like, cause it's usually from the fall into the winter. So I actually saw it earlier this year, but I won't get to see it from the fall going into the winter of 2021. And I'll have to wait for the fall going into winter of 2021 going into 2022. So uh, tell folks, including our other guests about what you've got going on and about your business and everything that you're doing. And of course, if you've been to the Chinese Lantern Festival, you can mention yeah. that as well. So, Oh my gosh, I listened to the whole thing and it's incredible. And I'm like, how am I going to follow up on that? Because that's like a worldwide amazing event. So congrats to all of them and their success. But I'm actually in Denver, Colorado, and my company is called You're Golden. I don't know if you guys have recently seen The Social Dilemma that came out on Netflix. Did either of you guys see that? This, um, no, tell us more about it. No, you've, got okay. my no, yeah. you've got my interest peaked. <laughs> no, I just, it, it's a good reference point. I have nothing to do with the social dilemma on Netflix, but it basically really just brings to light our addiction to our devices. Um, even before COVID, there was this loneliness epidemic. There's this social disconnection. And the more and more we're learning is that the more and more we're on our device and the more and more we're on social media, kind of the worse we feel, if that makes sense. You know, we know that social media was originally meant to bring us all together, but as, as it grows and now it's been, you know, we've had it for decades. It's like, it's actually really causing some major mental health issues. So, so my mission with Your Golden is bottom line is to get people off their phone and living life in real time. So I'm sure you guys are out and you're with your friends and your family and you're having so much fun and you automatically get your phone out to take photos because that's just what, what, what are the other options. But my, the point of Your Golden is like we want everyone to just keep their phones away we want people to just like live their life in real time and enjoy life. So, you know, without living behind your phone screen and not worrying about posing like for the perfect like Instagram photo, right? Like we just like put your phone down, watch your kid blow out their birthday candles, you know, enjoy your anniversary party, like live in the moment. And our pros, like basically we're a platform for photographers on demand and you pay $100 an hour for a professional photographer to come to your kid's birthday party, um, uh, an anniversary, a family reunion, a, you know, a picnic, like whatever you might be doing that you want great photos for, but you don't to have your phone out and you want to like actually experience the moment in real time. So for $100 an hour, one of our photographers will come out. You don't even know they're there. There's no posing. There's no directing. This is not a photo shoot. This is not Instagram influencers. This is someone there to capture the candid moment of, you know, the the true authentic experience of your life. Um, within 24 hours, they deliver unedited photos to basically to your phone with a one-touch download, and now you have the digital photos as though you took them on your phone. But they're the candid photos that everyone loves better. They're not posed. They're not directed. And you actually got to make memories and, like, share experiences with the loved ones around you and with your friends and family without having your phone out. So my whole mission is really to just get us to put our phones down and 
we're taking 3 billion photos per day on our cell phones collectively worldwide, like 3 billion photos per day on our phones. And we're uploading 95 million photos to Instagram. And by 2023, there will be three times more mobile devices than the global population. So with all those facts, it's like we're reaching for our phone nonstop. And so my mission is to get people to keep their phones away and let us capture those moments at such an affordable price point. You know, even if it was like a friend's birthday party, you all chip in $10 and now no one has to worry about taking photos or a graduation or whatever it might be. So that's my mission and it's through photography on demand. Yeah, it sounds like a great mission, and I agree with you that sometimes we get too caught up in social media and all of that because I've been oftentimes amazed at times when folks will be out on a date or um, a social outlet or things of that nature, even going to movies or restaurants, and you'll see people that are actually chatting with each other on the phone while they're right across from each other, which I've never quite understood because like I said you know if they're having a a date with the other person and then even when you get into conversation with them they might even tell you that they're chatting to the person right across the screen from them and I'm like wait a minute aren't they right across the screen from you can't you like just directly talk to them one-on-one I don't know why you got to text them if they're literally right across from you but I guess it was their own way of having privacy or whatever way that they maybe they didn't want everybody to hear what they were saying and they wanted to say it clandestinely or something but I have just oftentimes has been shocked at that, and I do agree that a lot of times folks do go out and uh, take plenty of pictures of all kinds of things and things of that nature, but then uh, there are times that you probably don't need that camera out, and you just need to be in, as like you said, Sydney, be in the moment and things of that nature, yeah. so particularly like for life events and all of that, you might be in the moment and just want to take a picture of that moment and everything. But a lot of what you're doing is also within that professional photography realm. And I mean, I know it's not necessarily yeah. that, but you are talking about it. it's in that professional photography realm. And I guess where I would be curious about it, and I was also curious to hear if she's still on the line from my marketing person from the uh, um, Lantern Festival and everything is uh-huh. – how often we can get those kind of pictures because I do find a lot of times people do want to take pictures of say something special that they're at that's like a one-time event or a -a once-a-year event like those lantern festivals or like a music festival or things of that nature. So I guess in those moments, I don't mind as much the camera phone being pulled out or even if you're going Uh for a walk. Like I said, I've been out on walks. I haven't been recently, but I know I've been out on walks on one of my neighborhood parks and everything that's got like a little lake and a creek. So I might see the geese or I might see the turtles and then I'll grab the photograph, the yeah. camera phone or like a, a digital phone and take a quick picture and upload it. So I'm probably one of those people that's do, doing that. I haven't done it as much as I had done it maybe several months back, but I know I was uploading pictures in that realm and everything. So how do you differentiate between that kind of like those kind of special moments yeah. and what you're talking about, which is more of the family special moments. And then if the marketing lady is still there, I'd love to hear her thoughts about when folks are taking pictures in that uh, of the festival. Cause I know when I was there, I saw a lot of folks taking pictures of those special lanterns. I know I've got still in my computer, several pictures of those uh, yeah. special uh, lanterns that are from last year. And I know that I've posted them and I'll probably post them on our page just just to refresh people about the fact that uh, you were on talking about the Lanterns Festival, because I know I was definitely guilty and probably took a good 
um, maybe 75 to 100 pictures, maybe more than that. <laughs> I, I lost track, but I know I took a bunch. So I, if you're still on there, are you finding a lot of people that are taking pictures of the lanterns? And then I'd love to hear from Sydney as to her thoughts of special pictures being taken at, like, the Lantern Festival. So I, are you seeing a lot of folks that are um, taking pictures of the Lantern Festival? Yes, definitely. I mean, um, the visitors, you know, just like take a lot of pictures and then uh, post on social media. I mean, for us, it's important too because, you know, um, as people, you know, take the photos and then people see on social media and then more people want to come. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah. Sydney, um, how do you deal with that when you're talking about like those kind of businesses? Because like I said, I, whether yeah. I've been involved in a number of our music festivals, and of course, those social pictures that you're talking about are the ones totally. that they need in order to help their marketing and things along that line. Yeah. But you're talking about more of the family pictures where it might not be as important to necessarily take the pictures as it would for either a music festival or a film shoot or a lantern festival or things of that nature. So yeah. how do you differentiate when you're thinking about that, Sydney and everything? Because like I said, it does sound like your platform is making it more of a differentiation between the special family moment and the special community moments, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. So let me address the business part first. So Definitely, like we don't want like you're like what you're saying, Mark. Like you want to get you want to have access to your phone and take it out and have those photos. And I think at the Lantern Festival, of course, organically people are going to take photos on their phone. But what's awesome about your Golden is like you can hire like the business can hire your Golden specifically for consumer like a consumer benefit. So you know we could come and we could take photos of the lanterns or of the signage or of the venue kind of for marketing purposes, right? But really what we're there to do is capture the, the, the like attendee experience. And then what you do is, you know, so you pay us a hundred dollars an hour. We're walking around the festival. We're saying, Hey, do you want us to take your family photo for you? Um, you know, getting some candid shots of the family, you know, watching the lanterns or talking to an artist. And, and then what you do is within 24 hours, we deliver a link and you blast that out. You blast our high quality photos out to that ticket link, like whoever bought a ticket for the Lantern Festival that night, from the night before, blast them our link free downloads. They can download those photos unlimited times. Now, not only do they have the ones that they kind of got in real time while they're there, but now they have high quality professional photos in their phone that they can also post. So it's still user generated content for the company, like for, you know, for, and it's, it's so cheap. It's like such cheap media because they are going to post on social media, but these are high quality photos that everybody likes. It's not like, you know, some people pick up their phone and they're going to try to take a picture of a lantern. It's going to turn out horrible. That's not really great marketing. You'd love professional photos to be marketed all over the internet for you. So like from a business perspective, that's what we do. We, we tell businesses, we're not there to take your marketing collateral materials. We're there for, to enhance the attendee experience. And no doubt, are you going to get more social media because you're going to get user generated content out of this. But, but then to switch to the family side of it, the goal is when you're in, when you're with your friends and family, 
you really want to share an experience. You want to laugh. You want to make eye contact. You want to say, you know, do something fun and memorable. And so, you know, later on you look back and, oh, do you remember that Lantern Festival? You can't really it, – it, studies show that you actually don't remember things as much if you're doing it through your phone versus if you're living it in real time and you're laughing and you're sharing an experience with those around you. While you may have the photos stored in your phone, your memories actually aren't as, as concrete and your experiences aren't as colorful and joyful and as fun. So what we're saying is like, of course, you're on your walk and you're maybe with your dog or you see a pretty sunset and yeah, grab your phone and take that photo. But when you're with your friends and family at something that you really want to remember this and like, you know, share this experience and create a memory for a hundred bucks an hour, like you, and again, it's not like a photo shoot. It's not posing. You don't, ideally, you don't even know the photographer is there. So you're just really living your life, like having, like laughing. And like when you make eye contact with someone and then when you laugh, like dopamine rushes to your brain. And that also helps with your, you know, like your laughter, your mood, it creates, it helps create the memory. It, it, but you can't do, you can't have eye contact when your phone is out, right? So it's like our phones are just really disruptive and they're creating this social disconnection. And so we really are just saying, you know, when you want to be present and you want to like watch your kid blow out their birthday candle and, you know, and, and when the, when your kid, when your child looks up at you and wants to make eye contact with you, like, dad, did you just see what happened? Like, mom, did you just see this? Like, like trying to share an experience with you and your phone is in, is in your face. They can't do that. So it's really just about creating moments and memories mostly. No, that makes a lot of sense, and definitely we need to have more of those memories created, and I do agree that a lot of times you miss those memories because you're so busy trying to figure that out and everything. One of the things, and this is actually for both of you and everything that I'm curious about, is that oftentimes I find that too often people think that it's really easy to do photography and all of that, so everybody, because of the camera, thinks that yeah. they are automatically a photographer, yeah. and not everybody is, and I would argue the same with marketing, because everybody thinks that they can market and not everybody can market. So I would love to hear both of you talk about how, in a lot of ways, we do have this society that thinks that these skills are, I guess they would be considered soft skills or things, that, skills that everybody can do. But I know for a fact, because I've got a very good friend of mine, Martin Freed, who is a photographer, and another one, Stephen Kaplan, who's out in New York. So I've got mad respect for professional photographers, and I know I don't have that uh, ability even with a professional camera and definitely not with my phone camera. But I do know that a lot of folks just feel that, you know, that they can be perfectly fine with a mm -hmm. camera phone and getting that camera out and it doesn't necessarily get that shot that they're looking for. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Sydney. And then I do want to come back to Aya because I think the yeah. same thing exists with marketing because I think that a lot of times people think that they, all they got to do is send out a press release and send out a notice and that it's automatically going to create the marketing, whereas I'm sure Aya knows that it takes a lot more than that. But I'll start with you, Sydney, if you could talk about yeah. how the nature of photography and how a lot of times it isn't as easy as folks would like to think it is. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like our phones these days have amazing cameras on them. So everyone thinks they're a professional. I think what the difference is, is, I mean, I guess specifically as it relates to my business is 
no matter what, a professional camera is going to be better than your phone. And, and you know, does that merit hiring someone just because of that? Maybe not. But what does merit hiring someone is that kind of third-party perspective. So with, while you have a great camera phone, like a great camera on your phone, you're getting selfies, you're getting posed photos, you're not getting the authentic moments, you're not getting that third-party angle, you're kind of getting these staged photos, or you're handing your phone to someone, you know, at the Lantern Festival, and you're handing your phone to a, you know, a random person there and saying, hey, can you take a picture of me and my family? And then inevitably, like, the kids don't want to pose, and nobody likes the way they look, and like, you know, your teenage daughter is like, don't post that or whatever, right? I mean, the point is, is like, yes, you have a great, you have a great camera on your phone, but with my, with your golden, the point is more about the angle and catching those authentic moments that aren't staged and aren't posed and aren't selfies. That's really the goal and like why our business works. Um, and typically, you know, high-end photographers aren't really signing up for our service, and that's okay. Ag- agreed with you. Like they have, photographers have have great skills and have been trained. We're really going for these. You know, we're helping the gig economy in the sense that, like, you know, maybe these people it's their side hustle. Maybe they got a camera from their cousin and they want to learn how to use it and they want to take better photos. And so they need some practice or they want to go from part-time photographer to full-time photographer and they need some, you know, more experience and they just need some side money, you know, quick money fast uh, to get going and to kind of push them up to that full-time. So we're not, so while all of our photographers have professional cameras and are quote unquote professional, we're not necessarily, you know, the high end photographers aren't really coming to us. But um, we're really helping, you know, especially in the times we're in now, people are looking for side jobs. People need to make more money. And if you have a camera and you can make 80 bucks an hour, um, why not, you know? So I don't know if that answered your question fully. No, that that definitely definitely answered a lot of the way that the question was going and everything. I will say just really quickly before getting to I and her thoughts about how everybody thinks that there's a marketer, at least that's my theory and everything. But I was going to say one of my great regrets, and your company, uh, Sydney, could actually help because I did have that moment. I remember that I was traveling to the Lantern Festival with a friend, and I do remember that at some point, I think it was when we were leaving the Lantern Festival, somebody did hand me a camera and I think it was a couple or it might have been like some uh, young ladies yeah. and they wanted a shot of themselves at the Lantern Festival. I think I took a good shot. I'm not sure because one <laughs> of the things that happens when you get that shot or you're given that camera is that you never know what how the picture turned out because unless it's a fast yeah. camera and by a fast camera I mean like one of them uh, old fashioned Polaroids or something where you literally see the shot as it's being developed but unless it's one of those cameras you don't know how the shot came out so I just remember taking right. the shot handing them back the phone and to this day like I said this was almost like probably about eight or nine months ago to this day I don't know whether the shot was (laughs) garbage or whether it was good because there was no uploading of that picture so I have no idea of knowing whether I had a that great shot or a horrible shot so I agree with what you were saying that sometimes those moments happen and you're not sure as to how the 
even the image came out. But I, what I was bringing to you, and then I do want to come back to Sydney as well with some of the other conversation, was this whole concept of everybody thinks that marketing is like photography, that it's going to be really easy and that it's just going to be like a whiz to do. But as you're finding, because you're definitely doing a great job of marketing the Lantern Festival, I was wondering, do you oftentimes find that when you talk to people about even the marketing profession, that everybody thinks that it's just something easy to do? But I know for a fact that it's not something easy to do, even when you've got a great project like the Chinese Lantern Festival. So I was just wondering whether you're back home in China or here, do you find a lot of folks that think that marketing is a whiz to do and it doesn't take a lot of skills? Yeah, well, for our company, um, I would say like probably it's like from a, a like professional like hiring standpoint because as I mentioned before that, you know, we hire, you know, professional photographers and then also uh you know, like those marketing agencies to market in different um, markets because, you know, usually the local marketing uh, agencies, they will know better about the local, the local market. So uh, I, I would, like, I, I agree with your, what you say, like, uh, many people think that, you know, photography or uh, marketing is easy and then everybody can, can do it. It's because, like, for us, when we have, like, several times when we hire, you know, looking, you know, to hire some local photographers to uh, take pictures of the show. Because for us, um, our need is, you know, it's like commercial. Our standard is like we need photos that is like high quality that you can actually have it on magazines and like billboards, uh, newspapers. So that kind of quality. So, so when we, you know, so uh, we did encounter like quite a lot of photographers. They said that you know they can do professional photos, but then um, after they they took those photos, we you know after we see the the final you know products, the photos, you know we we decided that none of them can be used to put on the magazine or to put on a billboard. So so uh, for us, it's definitely that um, you really need to find those like real professionals. And uh, the same, you know, goes with marketing agencies. You know, we got, usually we got, uh, you know, like different proposals from local marketing agencies. And then many of them, you know, claim that they can do a, uh, you know, a really good job. But then, um, you know, in the past we did, uh, you know, have, you know, experienced a couple of times that, you know, we, we hire a local marketing agency and then it turns out that, the marketing was not good at all. So for us, you know, it really caused, you know, a lot, you know, the entire festival because if the marketing wasn't done well, so basically we are going to have, like, uh, tens of thousands of dollars, you know, lost uh, from the, you know, the, the festival, you know, the attendance and revenue. So, yeah, so yeah, I would say that, yeah, definitely for, for us to... The, the top priority is that we need to find those like real professionals, by not just like anybody claim that they can be a marketer or photographer. 
Yep, definitely agree with you on that and everything. One of the other things, and I was curious to come back to Sydney and everything because I had a couple of questions for her and everything. But one of the things that I think that the photography became so big and the reason that everybody thinks that they are a photographer is because photography has also kind of come into the newsroom and things of that nature. Because I think that a number of things that have happened in our community, including around Black Lives Matter and a lot of other issues, we wouldn't have known about if folks didn't have that individual camera and take that quick shot. So while I agree with you that other times that doesn't always get those candid moments that we were like and everything. It has also been a way that if the news person wasn't there or if somebody wasn't there, we were able to learn about somebody like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or a number of other folks like that because there was somebody there that had their phone and took their picture during those kind of incidences. And I know that there have definitely been a lot of those kind of protests from Colorado to California to North Carolina to New Jersey. But that's one of the things where I think photography has actually helped in including even what I would call citizen journalism kind of photography. So would you agree with me on that? And what are your reflections on that? A hundred percent. And thank God for that. And thank God for technology for that. And, and thank God because so much has come, you know, to light. And if, and you're right. I mean, it's in the past prior to having, you know, bystanders with a camera prior to that, like, what happened that we didn't even know about that we never saw, you know? So thank God technology has, especially like now in COVID times, right? Like it's connected us via video calls and just, you know, kind of trying to live, live life, not so disconnected. So, so in so many ways, our phones and our camera phones are 100% are needed and I am so thankful for them and, and the revolution, the social revolution that's happening and, and all the things around that. But um, so I think and just, you know, related to that for sure, your golden really just, you know, it's, it's really for specific times. It's not meant to always replace your phone. It's really just only to replace your phone when, when you really want to just be present in the moment and you don't, you know, and like, so I'll just keep bringing up like your child's birthday, you know, like something that you want to be around for and you want to be present for, and you want your, your child to know that you're there and that you like, you're experiencing it with them and you're sharing in the experience. And, and then, you know, later on, you didn't have to sacrifice getting great pictures. You don't have to look, you know, to your grandparents to be the designated photographer or your parents and their grandparents. You don't have to look for extended family to, to be the one behind the phone. You can just kind of let it go. So really it's just meant to, to really bring us together and, you know, by no means meant to take the place of the revolution that's going on right now for sure. Oh, yeah, and there's definitely one of those going on in our country. Definitely, I would agree that yeah. revolution is a good word to describe it and everything. Now, how does one, if they're interested in becoming, or one, is it strictly right now your golden in the Colorado area, or is it a national movement? And if one was interested in being a photographer 
for your golden, how would one go about joining the family as a photographer? And then the other question I had is, do you have any recommendations that you give to folks as to how you can actually be a photographer and not blend in or not cause interference? Because I have been to things where I've, you know, there have been, whether it's a professional photographer, whether it's a family photographer, and you do sometimes see them getting a little bit um, too engaged in the community, engaged Mm -hmm. in things, and almost like interfering with the event. So I know that that's not the purpose of what your golden is and definitely not the purpose of a good photographer. So I was wondering how folks can get involved and what advice you would give to folks if they're either involved with your golden or if they're doing it on their own as to how they can stay engaged in taking the pictures but not necessarily um, be interfering with what's going on. Because I can tell you that I used to work at a furlough right now, but I was a cultural arts center that I was very involved with for a number of years and definitely I can tell you that whether it's a birthday party or a um anniversary or a number of other type of parties there were some photographers that I saw that were really good about kind of like blending into the environment but there were others that I saw that you knew that they were almost like almost the stars of the show themselves and that's what I <laughs> think we like y'all are trying not to do y'all wanted them to be exactly. kind of in the shadows yeah so we um we host a few we posted a few webinars for people to learn more about photography um and and we give i give all of my photographers photography guidelines and and we're really really aware and we talk about you know making sure we're looking for you know all the angles all the body types all the colors all the you know, everything, like we don't, we want to be inclusive of everyone there and we want to get everyone involved. So kind of just like what you're taking photos of is important and how you're taking the photos to your point. So, you know, like to make sure that we always tell our photographers, be discreet, you know, stay out of the way, do not, um, don't direct anyone, don't pose anyone unless, you know, someone asks you to do it, unless, you know, the client says, hey, could you do a family photo before you leave? You know, something like that. But we have photographer guidelines that are really, really clear on how to, you know, make sure you're being conscious and aware of what you're shooting and how you're shooting it. And so, yeah, that's really, really important. I mean, the whole point of our of this business is to make it not disruptive because getting your phone out is disruptive. Like you said, when you're at a, you're at a restaurant and you see people who are just have their phone out the entire time, or you're sitting at a table with someone who's pulling their phone out, taking photos of their food, texting someone, emailing someone like you can't even engage with them because you know, that's distracting too. So, so right, we make sure the photographers understand these guidelines, agree to these guidelines. I've gone out on jobs with a lot of them to make sure that they're fully understanding the point. So that's really, really important. And then right now we are only in Denver, but we very, very soon will be expanding. I'm not exactly sure what markets yet. I can't, I can't say, but we, we will go to – a few other larger markets, and then we'll go national. But in Denver here, basically what people can do is go onto our website and um, express interest in becoming a Your Golden Photographer. And then what I do is um, right now I'm vetting everyone. And so 
what we're in the process of doing is making that more automated. I mean, the best way I can put it is if you think of like a ride share, like Lyft or Uber or something like that. Like when you go on and you sign up, you, someone could sign up to be a driver and someone can sign up to be a rider. And so ultimately it will be the same thing and it'll be fully automated and people will be able to sign up to be a photographer or sign up to be a customer. But right now I'm vetting everyone. Um, I'm a solo entrepreneur and the founder and the single employee, the only employee. So I'm, I'm also doing that right now. But the, the great news is we've onboarded a lot of photographers before we started our customer acquisition. So um, we have a great pool of photographers on board already. And um, as we gain traction here in Denver, we've gotten more and more um, interest in photographers coming on board because they see the value in this quick kind of cash. Again, if you think of it like ride share, you know, the customer pays up front. As soon as that ride's done, in theory, it kind of goes to the driver. And so it's a similar thing. You know, the customer pays up front for our services and, and very quickly the photographer gets paid. Yeah, and I've actually got to tease you about something that you said and everything, because you said that folks take a picture of their food and all of that. I'm yeah. actually a member of our local Yelp, considered a Yelp elite, and I definitely will go and take Ooh. a picture occasionally of food and things of that nature and then upload it since I'm considered one of their elite people and everything in this <laughs> local market. So I'm one of those people guilty of taking pictures of the food as well. Man, so I'm just going to let you know. <laughs> No, that's a good example, and I was going to tease you about that. And I do agree that sometimes folks are taking pictures, and it's not going anywhere like Yelp or any of the other uh, review sites or anything of that nature. So I have seen people just taking pictures of it in general or posting it as part of a Facebook post or something like that. So yeah. like I said, in my case, it was having a purpose, but I do know folks that are the types that you're talking about that just posted and is going on social media and all of that. And my partner in yeah. crime, Dean, is a fellow entrepreneur, so I would love to hear your reflections on what that means to be an entrepreneur. I would actually consider Aya, even though she's in the marketing wing, to be an entrepreneur as well. So I would love to hear what brought you into the entrepreneurship world, and then Dean may have some advice for you in the entrepreneurship oh. world. As to you tell that. what brought you into it and all of that, because like I said, Dean has done entrepreneurship for a number of years in a number of ways, but we'll turn it over to you first if you'll tell our okay. listeners a little bit about what got you into entrepreneurship and what did, made you decide to possibly leave corporate America. I don't know if you left corporate America yeah. or not, or and whether you're deciding to do this as a full-time job or what made you make this leap. So if you'll talk about your entrepreneurship journey. Yeah, so I am still working a full-time job and building this business at the same time. Um, and I, I really actually never wanted to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> I, um, I just kind of found, you know, as I, I've struggled with mental illness for a really long time. And as I saw just kind of this connection between social media and our devices and mental illness, and I started doing the research on it and I started seeing, you know, this connection between how much time we're, we're spending on our phones and what it's doing to our social connections. And, you know, the stats like, you know, a caregiver turns away from a baby for two minutes and the baby become, you know, plays with their toys less is a, is a less happy baby. I mean, 
the, the research and the studies are insane about what our phones are doing to us and those around us. And so when I started looking like thinking like, oh, there must be an app for this, right? Like if I can help people get off their phones, because we're taking so many photos, like I said, 3 billion photos per day collectively. If I could help people get off their phones just to take, not take photos, like how great would that be? That's just, you know, one way to help kind of turn this into like a humane media, like civil media, I call it versus social media. But I was, I was like, there must be an app for that already. Like I can't be, I can't be the first one coming up with this. And I like, did all that research and there really isn't. There are a few photographer on demand companies, um, but none of them are really focused on this social cause and social mission of being more present and disconnecting from our phones and building stronger social connections and just replacing our cell phones. So there's, there's these photographer on demand businesses that will, someone will come to you and just use your iPhone for you. It's just like a, a person within, you know, five miles of you will come and pick up your phone and take photos of you. So there's that model. And there's also then this model of like kind of instant booking, but they'll still book for weddings and they'll still book newborns, family photos. We don't do any of that, right? Because my goal is to just take the place of your phone. You would never, you wouldn't shoot a wedding on your iPhone. So we don't do that. Like that's a big money maker for professional photographers. We're not trying to undercut photographers. This is a new revenue stream. So really I just became an entrepreneur on accident, starting with my own curiosity and my own desire to like not be married to my phone and not wanting my friends and family to always have their phone out. And I just started researching. I was like, this doesn't even, this doesn't exist. I have to do it. <laughs> so I fell into it. And the goal is to make your golden my full-time job, but you know, Dina, maybe you can share some advice, but like, I, you know, I'm not, I haven't taken the leap yet. My plan is to, but I'm not ready to leave my full-time job. I mean, I'm so lucky to be in COVID times and still have a full-time job that I'm not ready to take that leap yet, but I, I do plan on taking that leap. Well, just to let you know, before we hear from Dean and his advice and everything, but Dean is actually balancing a lot of things because Dean is working in the correction system, also is, um, and I don't know whether you are sitting here or not, but is also happily married and has been celebrating a major anniversary and all of that. And he's also not just a parent, but also a grandparent. So he's definitely got a lot of that balancing while also running his entrepreneurship businesses. Wow. This, of course, being one of them, what we're doing here with blog talk radio but he's also got a number of other things going on as well so dean i just gave you a great lead in give some words of advice to sydney for being an entrepreneur and like i said as far as i'm concerned aya with her marketing and the lantern company is also an entrepreneurship business as well so definitely dean jump in and give us your words of wisdom <laughs> i don't know the words of wisdom but i i, I guess uh you know, when you look at things and you have ideas, do not allow uh, people to dissuade you from what you plan to do. There will be a lot of people that will tell you that will never work. No one will be interested. And there's a market out there for a lot of different things. So, you know, be be willing to press forward when you're the only one that believes and continue to believe in yourself. Things may start off slow, 
you may hear no a thousand times, but keep going until you hear that yes, because when you do hear that yes, then a different door will open for you, you know, and continue to think of new ideas, continue to say why not. Um, There'll be times where it works. There'll be times when it doesn't. However, no matter what, you keep going, you know, and then as things, some things may start out and be planned to go one way, and then you're taken in a different direction. However, when you get to the end of that road, you realize that that detour was better than the original plan. So, you know, continue to press forward, continue to stay optimistic. Some days, like again, some days will be slow days, and you'll be able to think of even more things to, you know, better your position and where you want to be. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I definitely would agree with everything that Dean just said and everything. One of the things I was curious about, Sydney, with you and everything is I met you through LSX, which I know is a platform that yeah. connects businesses. A lot of them are sell both on the West Coast. Of course, they are the ones that are actually based in Boston and things of that nature. So I was just wondering as to how you got involved with LSX and what that relationship was like and also how you became engaged with them. Like I said, I know we've had some other guests, including the founder of Classhooks and a couple of others that have been here on our show and shared their journey, but I was wondering what your connection was to that platform, which is about helping businesses from around the area. And like I said, I know that Leah has been on the show and me and Richard keep missing each other. So at some point we'll get Richard <laughs> on the show as well, but yeah. I just wondered about your connection to LSX and that platform. Well, first of all, I don't even, compared to your voices, you guys have amazing voices. And I'm like, I'm I'm afraid to even speak anymore after hearing Dean's voice and your voice. Like, you guys are great. So I'm a little self-conscious now, but I'm like, can I speak in a deeper voice? I don't know. Anyhow, (laughs) I got involved with LSX just because as as a solo entrepreneur and as an entrepreneur in general, I look for... Um, networking is, is a huge part of growing a business and building your network and um, meeting people and things like that. So LSX was someone that came to me through the Colorado startup community kind of as a reference or resource. Um, they just said, uh, you know, made, help me make this connection um, and they've been great. You know, they're a startup as well. And they saw a need in the marketplace to connect, you know, entrepreneurs with media outlets and other, you know, speaking engagements and things like that. So I'm grateful to have found them such a helpful resource. You know, I don't have a per- personal connection with them. It's just really been about me just growing my network and meeting as many people as I can. No, that sounds great, and definitely that's the way that I've met them. I met them through a platform and everything, and then, like I said, they started channeling other uh, business owners to us to be a guest on the show and everything of that nature. I, uh, she just mentioned a very important part, which I think is also an important part to what you're doing with the Chinese Lantern Festival, which is the whole concept of networking. So I'd love to hear your reflections on networking and things of that nature, because I think sometimes we get too caught up in stereotypes with networking as well, because I know that there's a certain person at 1600 that sometimes gives negative stereotypes about the area that you are originally from, China and everything of that nature. So I would love to hear your thoughts about networking and the power of social media. 
because I sometimes think that it's used in a negative force and it should be used in a more positive way. But I'd love to hear your reflections on that. Yeah, so um, for us, um, networking is, I mean, at the beginning, uh, networking wasn't, you know, really, um, you know, what we focus on because with something we do is like really specific. So, um, and then we didn't have any networks in the United States. So basically for us at the beginning, it's like just, you know, just like cold calls, you know. And then, uh, but later, you know, we... We we know like which you know which community that we should focus on and then you know where we should you know um, network to know to get to know people and then that is like how we start to get into those communities um, and then I mean with stereotypes I would say like people you know people are like very um, you know rational in you know different you know, in different parts of, you know, country, like, for example, like political and cultural, they can separate them. So uh, for us, we don't, we actually, we don't get like too many, like that kind of stereotypes because I think it's like, just like, you know, even though people will have stereotypes, but they still like tend us, right? So I think it's the same thing for our festival. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like I said, I saw a number of folks who were at the festival, and they definitely crossed all kinds of divides. Like I said, I'm sure that there were people, even though I didn't ask them, that were of different religions, be that Eastern or Western, definitely folks that were probably Republican and Democrats, and definitely folks that, as I've said before, were of different parts of society. So that's one of the things that I love about the work that y'all do is that it definitely seems to be a unifying factor, and I think that we need more things around the world that find ways to unify us and not necessarily to divide us because oftentimes I think that we spend too much time on division factors and not enough on the unity factors. And I think that there's a lot of ways that we can actually be more unified in terms of even the global community. Cause I know me and Dean are very glad that this network isn't just shared around the U S but is actually also shared around the globe because we've actually in several stations around in other parts of the world. I think we've even had some listeners in China before, if I remember correctly, but Dean will have to correct me on that. But it does seem to me that China was one of the several countries that we were listed in as listening to this show on a regular basis. So, Cindy, I would love to hear your reflections, and then we're going to wind up in another 10 minutes or so. But I'd love to hear your reflections about the need for unity and the need for more cultural awareness, because I am a big fan of cultural awareness just in general, and I think that we don't do enough of that. And I would also argue that it's something that apparently is a passion of yours, that we also don't always yeah. give enough attention to folks that are in that mental space as well, meaning that they're dealing with whatever that mental illness is. But I think that we don't see enough of that in society as well. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and about the ways that we can be more unified. Yeah, well, I actually think kind of what we touched on before, like when you mentioned, you know, the George Floyd video, and like I think that and and our our push towards what i call like humane technology and civil media i think that we all need to you know if any if the last four years have taught us anything we need to be more open minded than ever listening more than ever um more aware than ever you know what we all have different stories and i i'm hoping that 
our social media and, you know, through photography and videography and bold content that they're creating, I'm hoping that we create a more civil society. Like, like that's where my, my goal, that's what my overall wishful goal is, is that, you know, social media doesn't just turn in, isn't just this platform to post just, you know, your great looking photos all the time. You know, that's why side note, we deliver only unedited photos and like those authentic photos, but that it's really used for civil and humane purposes. And, you know, we're really at a turning point in our culture right now in the U S at least. Um, And we have, you know, we all are being called on to make a change. And I think that if all of us don't collectively do something, you know, I think we're all hearing more and more that by standing by and not doing anything means you're doing nothing, you know, like, so we all have to be active participants in this, what I'm calling a revolution and move towards civil and humane technology. I mean, you know, no, I definitely we agree with heading down, yeah, we're headed down a road that we gotta, we can't, we gotta make a change. No, I definitely agree with you. There definitely got to be some changes made and things of that nature for both of you. And then I've, one of the ways we always close just about all the shows we do, whether it's on this platform or on the streaming platforms, is giving people a chance to share their positive thoughts, share their uh, message of hope, and things of that nature. But before we get to that, I want to hear from both of you, for those that are listening, ways that they can reach you in the world of the World Wide Web. So I'll start with you. I, if folks are interested in learning more about the Chinese Lantern Festival, learning more about your company and the next shows tell folks when the next shows are that are already scheduled because i think you mentioned that there are a few that are still on the line that are still being planned and where those are and also you would give the website as well and that was our 10 minute warning by the way so definitely if you could tell folks the uh website and also how what shows might be coming up with the uh chinese lantern festival i'm sure that our listeners would love to hear that if you've got that handy uh, yes, so we have one show that's opening right now. Uh, it's in Boston. It's at the zoo, and it's open till uh, I believe it's you know mid-November. And then we have two other shows coming up. One is Seattle. The other one is in Auckland, uh, in the Bay Area, California. So uh, those two are also at the zoo, and. Um, they are they are gonna open, you know, in November all the way to January. So that's for the holiday season. And uh they are walk through but then the zoo is are really, you know, taking all kinds of measures to make sure everybody's safe. So uh there's attendance limit to, you know, around two thousand um like visitors per night, which is like you know, they have time tickets. So I think um uh, for each section, it's like probably only from 300 to 400, and then, uh, and then the zoo, you know, it's all outdoor, and then it's like really big uh, venue. So to make sure that social distancing, uh, and then also masks are required, um, and then for this, you know, festivals, they are the theme is on uh, wildlife conservation because we really want to promote this, you know, awareness amount like you know, all visitors to, uh, you know, you know, pay more, you know, attention and to wildlife conservation. 
And so uh, for all the other information uh, about our company, people can go to our website. Uh, it's just tnuculture.us to learn more about our company. Yeah. Cool. And would you spell that for our listeners, so those that don't have like a pen or paper handy? And of course, we'll post it on our website as well. But those that are listening, if you can spell the name of the company, so that they can know that it's that most folks will know how to spell culture, but they might not know how to spell. I think it's named after the city that y'all are from. But if you'll spell that first name for our listeners. Yes. Uh, so Tianyu is spelling uh, as T I A N Y U. So tenuculture.us. All right. Thank you. And definitely, um, if there are listeners from outside of the country, y'all have another area that is for those that are, say, from France or Spain or Australia. So if that separate company, would that be also on that website, or would they go to tenuculture.europe uh, or something like that? Where would they go if they're hearing us in other parts of the world? Well, uh, we are all connected with our, you know, parent company in China and also another subsidiary in Europe. So people can definitely uh, just come to our website, the U.S. website, and then contact us, and we will, uh, you know, forward the message to our U.S. Uh, to our uh, European office, and our representative there will contact them. Yeah. Sounds good. And uh, Sydney, if you would, tell folks about your golden and how they can reach you and everything of that nature, whether they're a photographer, whether they're somebody that's in the families around Denver and everything, and they want to actually have these moments of capturing these uh, family moments and not have to be interfered with even having Uncle Joe or somebody that's not a good photographer take the <laughs> pictures and have a professional photographer. So if you would share a little bit about that, your website, and also the other question I was going to ask you really quickly is, were you always a photographer? So like I said, is photography something that is, has always been in the interest of yours since you were a kid, or is this something also like the entrepreneurship that you fell into later in life? So if you want to answer that question while also giving the website, we can do that now. Yeah. Real quick, I am not a photographer at all, actually. Like I, I said, I just kind of fell into this entrepreneur, this opportunity, and I'm not a photographer. And to kind of to Dean's point, when I started researching this, people were saying, no, like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a photographer. Who are you to even say deliver unedited photos? We never deliver unedited photos. And so – but again, to Dean's point, that's what made me like, that's what fueled my fire hearing these people say we'd never do that. I was like, okay, great. I'm, I'm on to something. So I'm actually not a photographer, um, but I do appreciate it and love working with photographers. And our website is actually just the letter U, the letter R, golden.com. And while we have a love-hate relationship with social media, that's where we reach most of our audience. So we're also on Instagram at the letter U, the letter R underscore golden. And those are the two best places to find us. Sounds great. And like I said, we were getting ready to wrap it all up, and we got about four minutes to go into doing that and everything. So I'll come back to you, Sydney, and then I'll come back to Aya to wrap everything up. And then, of course, me and Dean will let folks know about the great network and all that we've got going on in the different platforms and all of that. But like I said, usually at the end of a show, I will ask folks about their words of encouragement, their words of positivity. And, of course, we've got a lot going on in the world, whether that's the pandemic, whether that's the racial pandemic, because as far as I'm concerned, that's on 
another pandemic that we've got going on in the world or the economic pandemic because a lot of us are facing economic hardship. So any words of encouragement or uh, positivity that you want to share, I'll turn it over to you, Sydney. then I'll come to Aya, and then we'll uh, probably me and Dean will bring some words of wisdom as well and then wrap it up by telling folks about what we've got coming up and all of that. So any words of wisdom that you want to share or words of encouragement? So I'll start with you, Sydney. Yeah, um, I would just say two things. Is one, you know, like just be mindful when you're using social media, and just know that, um, you know, it's okay to. You don't have to post everything in your life, and um, you know, just be aware how some people perceive things. You know, only seeing people's perfect photos all the time. Um, you know, just I just I just think we need to be more mindful on social media and just thinking about that as you move through your days in the future. And then the only other thing I'd say is just vote, but please vote for the right candidate. I understood that, please, and I would definitely agree with please that. Vote. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely yeah, agree with that. Right. Aya, what are your thoughts? Any words of encouragement? Yeah, like I said, you bring us the perspective from somebody from another part of the world. But if, like I said, we definitely consider ourselves a global citizens and definitely part of a global community. So any words of encouragement or any positive thoughts that you would like to share? Who knows? It might even be something from like the words of one of the great Chinese leaders or something that you live by. But any words of encouragement that you would like to share, this is your opportunity to do that now. Um, so say uh, definitely it's like very important to stay calm and, you know, just like be rational about things. Um, and I actually, I really agreed about like social media. I, you know, um, actually I, I um, watch The Social Dilemma and also The Great Hack on Netflix. And <laughs> it is like really scary. So I would say that uh, especially during this, really difficult time just like don't let like anything negative or like maybe on on the news or on social media to affect your personal life i mean that's like for for me like um i feel that it's like that's so important because you you just want to be like just be rational and calm and because that also impacts about your decision making and also and your health. So, yeah. Now, that makes a lot of sense, and I definitely agree with you on that. One of the things that I would add, and something that I try to encourage people to do here on this platform, as well as other platforms, as well as just among my friends and peers and everything, is definitely I think that we need to be more culturally aware, and not just of our own societies, be that whatever society you might be part of. But one of the things that I mentioned that I loved about the Chinese Lantern Festival was I got to learn about another part of the world that I haven't yet to visit and everything. And that's something that goes on even on some of the social media sites or some of the social uh, podcasts that I go on and everything. Like I said, I'm also part of the IBM.TV family, and I know sometimes we'll have people that are traveling around the world that are, have traveled around the world, so I'm always glad to learn about other parts of the world, be that South Africa, be that Nigeria, be that China, be that a number of other places. And like I said, at some point, we'll get to being able to travel, and I hopefully we'll get to do more world traveling because that's something that even in my late life, in terms of being in my late 50s, I haven't done enough of. So when there are things like the Chinese Lantern Festival or the International Festival that we have in Raleigh, as well 
in uh, this area. Usually, I think they went virtual this year, but these are opportunities for me to learn a lot about society. And like I said, hopefully I'll get a chance to go visit those places live and in person and, uh, you know, either with a, uh, my own camera phone or some other kind of way, get pictures of it and everything. But definitely I would argue that we need to do a better job of being a truly global community and global citizen. So that's one of the words that I would add folks to do is that even in this time where we're sitting at home, the books are definitely out there and they're on the internet. There are other places as well. So if nothing else, you can pick up a book and learn about the history of China or the history of um, Australia or the history of a number of other places. So I would urge folks that if you can't go because of the planes and the cruises and everything else to these places, we can find ways to get there through the books, through television, through movies, and a number of other places. So that's my thought. Dean, what's yours? You know what? Uh, first, we want to thank I Lou and Sydney Golden for joining us tonight. We greatly appreciate you, and we thank you. Um, Dale Carnegie said most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. And I just wanted to put that out there, a little motivation for the week. Um, it's Straight Talk with Dean and Mark, y'all. Monday nights, Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to join us tomorrow afternoon and Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock p.m. on the Skyhawk Radio Network where our replay of this show will air. And if you missed that, then we have other replays on Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, CastBox, PodFollow, and right here at Blog Talk Radio, we are a part of the Level Podcast Network, where we also have a number of shows, and those shows include Mullings Music and Memories with Mark Lee, Virginia Interface Live, The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, She's on Call, Let's K-12 Better, Western New York Original Music, the Let's Talk About a Radio Show, Frunk from the Front Seat, The Just Podcast, Mona Shakes Minority Reports, The Mark Lee Show, The Planet Good Seed Podcast with Tish Oakley, Funk Music with Zach, The Spinach Social Hour, The Online Dinner Party with Mark Lee, The Chef Gang Radio Show, and of course, Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. Like I always say, when you walk outside your front door, it's showtime in the world of your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching the rehearsal. With that being said, this is six-man Dean Geronimo. Have an outstanding weekend as always. We'll see you in seven days. That's right. We'll see them back in seven days, and we'll hopefully be bringing in some more entrepreneurs, some more creatives, some more activists, and a lot of other great guests as well. So don't forget, if you've got something that you want to say on this show, you can always reach us at bluesradio at gmail.com. You can also hit Dean on the uh, Facebook page that Straight Talk with Dean and Mark have, as well as a number of other ways that you can reach us as well. So we're always looking for interesting guests, 
interesting conversations and are always glad to have those conversations with you right here on Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. I'm out of here as well. And as we like to say, it has definitely been a great show with some amazing guests and some great conversations. We hope that you'll join us in hearing more of these conversations that Dean just referenced that will be appearing on some of our other programs, some that are hosted by me, some that are hosted by others as well. As a matter of fact, I think Dean left out one of the shows, so I'm about to get on him because he's also got a show, another show that he is a host of as well, and for some reason that one didn't get mentioned. So Dean, you need to tell him about your other show and we're, we're going to hear those episodes as well. So Dean, I'm not letting you off the hook because I know you've got that show that goes on where you have your guests and you didn't mention that among all the things. You dropped my name seven, three or four times and I'm glad that you did that, but I'm not letting you off the hook because I know that there's a show called it's got talk in the title and you didn't mention them and you also didn't mention the show that involves our parent with her kids and everything so the k-12 show uh, was not mentioned oh, but you also specifically better. did not mention the one <laughs> where you do your show so that's not the other off the hook we'll let her off the hook but you go get off the hook so tell folks about your show and where we can get that next episode <laughs> Um, it's the Let's Talk About It radio show, man. It is on hi- hiatus at the present time. So, you know, when we get back to it, we'll be ready to do it. You know what I mean? Keep it locked right here, blogtalkradio.com backslash squared, S-Q-U-A-R-E-D, the, the number is 807. Definitely. And on that note, we're going to be out of here. I'm going to be reaching out to my folks. Dean will be reaching out to his folks. But like I said, we're always willing to meet folks that we don't know. Because like I said, we've definitely had some folks on the show that we have reached out to that are new friends, like our friend Aya and our friend Sydney. But we've also got some of the folks that we've known from our past and some of our own involvements, be that my involvement or Dean's involvement. But we just like to have good and engaging conversation. I know that that's something I enjoy. And that's something Dean enjoys as well. So that being said, and on this last note, I'm going to say one more time that if you've got something to say, you got some, uh, you need a platform to talk about what your passion is, or you got a business that you want to share with the world, we are the one of the platforms that you can do that at. So I'll be looking for my email, maybe even later on this evening, and who knows, maybe it'll get blown up with all kinds of folks saying, I just heard you, Mark, say that I can be on your show with Dean. And I'll be like, yes, that is what I said. So bluesradio at gmail.com. That's the email one more time. Or you can reach Dean through his email, and I'll let him tell you what his own personal email is in case you don't want to talk to Mark. (laughs) (laughs) That email is 807media at gmail.com. And on that note, me and Dean are out of here, and we'll catch you next week. (laughs) Peace.